my goodness me. Here it is, predictable, well choreographed, perfectly rehearsed. Hello and welcome to episode four of Grassroots, the best podcast out there exclusively focused on the women's game, how we know and love it, at your local club, in the mud and in front of a baying mob. In this goal line dropout of an episode, we welcome back the fabulous Victoria Rush. We discuss the opportunities that were missed in the World Cup and also how to get more people watching rugby. Jodie has another injury. We discuss the importance of insurance and public liability in the game and we give listeners a history lesson in Fantasy 15. As always, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 22 months out with a triple B operation. She runs in, tries for fun. I'm Lou. I'm Molly. I'm Joyce. And I'm Jodie. And I'm Matt. This is Grassroots. So Casey, you've got Jodie as your coach today. How's it going so far? Well, I don't know words really. I think I'd, I'd say she's definitely not a micromanager. It's a very sort of... <laughs> Wait, top it's, level. It's, def- it's, it's definitely, yes, it's a very... Yeah, you know what, she makes us do a lot of thinking for ourselves. It's all about accountability and stepping up to the plate and actually bringing your own shit. I mean, the halftime snacks, they were the best I've ever tasted. Those those thin air sweets that we normally have. Um, but, no, in all fairness, first gig, I think she's done well. She did ask me to swap from 10 and I was like... I've already swapped them seven. Molly's ten. She's like, oh shit. Who's actually ten then? But it's kind of one of those sort of Steve Jobs styles game. of. Uh, uh, I'm developing. Yeah. Empowering your staff. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah, yeah. In all fairness, though, we pulled it together and look how they're doing. I put a post up on the grassroots page of the day where I took a, a selection of photos of the Crocs on display in the clubhouse after the game. And I may add that this is probably not even half. <laughs> of the Crocs that were on display. But going around asking to take pictures of people's feet has a bit of a whiff of perv about it. So OnlyFans. It has a whiff of OnlyFans, Matt. Yeah, it does. Welcome to my world. Yeah, it's better than taking interviews in the shower. (laughs) Yeah, this is true. But I bet you there's a a porn category for, like, Crocs. Oh. Somebody somewhere will have a thing about that. Our team oh would God. make it kill it. Joyce, Joyce refrains from Googling that whilst on the podcast. I was on my work computer, which is probably a bad idea. Yes, but I probably should go Google incognito. Incognito, yeah. Talking about OnlyFans, has anyone seen the image they've used to advertise the England death game? No. It looks no. very strikingly like a girl with our opposition girl doing lesbian stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Colloquially no. known as scissoring. It looks like you should have a link to Pornhub under it, honestly. Oh like my god, it does look like scissoring. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, I'm not going to unsee that. <laughs> well, they could have used a better picture, is all I'm going to say. <laughs> now I understand in the group chat, because I'm old, obviously, and not down with the kids and hadn't noticed this, um, when somebody says that'll get the crowds down. <laughs> <laughs> I skim read all the comments. Now I know why there's lots of them. Yeah. Anyway, going back to Crocs. So I put a collage of Crocs on our Facebook site and it's had the most interactions and shares of pretty much any post we've done. <laughs> Crocs are clearly both divisive, but also fascinating to people. So I find that a bit interesting. Mm, it's very... Yeah. Marmite, I think. I was, I was going to say totally Marmite, yeah. You either love them, hate them. But do you think people actually love them? So I, I mean, I don't love Crocs, I'll be honest. Right, I love wearing them because they're practical and comfortable. But I don't like the look of them. 
It looks stupid. No. And after you saying that, your story about your Crocs to cricket and what that uh, friend said to you, <laughs> I would never be able to look at Crocs the same again. <laughs> <laughs> that is yeah. more the watershed. We won't go there, but yeah. I know. I mean, very little's off limits on this podcast, but I think too much but, discussion around that is probably a bad idea. Yeah, definitely. I love the way you said the pub was like, oh, should I have put that in? He's like, oh, no, I've got the resident gate. It's okay. I can say stuff like that. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Joni's here. It's fine. It's not homophobic. I can't be homophobic because Joni's on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that it? As, as long as we've got, as we cover all, you as know, we got uh, Joni, diversity. Yeah, we can we diverse yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're on natural barometer, Joni. If you kind of suddenly bristle <laughs> with the fence, then we know we've gone too far. <laughs> well, I did have a. Oh, you said it before. I was like, oh, I wouldn't be offended, but I think, nah, it'll be okay. We haven't had any backlash off it yet, have we? <laughs> like a pre written apology and disclaimer before we start yeah. the podcast recording. Like, we should have the lawyer on tonight. Yeah. yeah Actually, we had the lawyer on there. She was laughing her head off. <laughs> oh, yeah. She oh, did. Dear. <laughs> <laughs> Try I've just had the biggest brainwave. Right, so, 18 years of playing rugby, getting dicked week on week, some weeks. Why the fuck have we never left some water bottles behind the try line? Honestly, it, and then we've got one injury, and then because of the positive, we so put one down the other end as well. Yeah. And then we've got all the bases covered. Oh my god. No bags for life going up and down the such Anyway, how are we feeling after the game on Sunday? So, Jody, you know, last time we talked on the podcast... Every time we, made... we talked on the podcast... Yeah, we made light of your giant gash and basically ridiculed you for the pain and discomfort you were obviously in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you finally recover, uh, although dare I say it, probably maybe should have had another week off yeah, just to make sure things had properly healed. So you go out and within what, two minutes of kickoff? Was it even that? I don't cool. think it was that. I think it was the first tackle. It's either the first or second tackle of the game. Yeah. So you want to tell the millions of listeners what happened, Jodie, because it comes, it's always better from the broken horse's mouth. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just feel like it's a podcast tradition now to talk about whatever injury I've got that weekend. What's Jodie broken now? Is how- yeah. yeah. So yet again, it's another feature on my face. It happened to be the same ref as we had the last game as well, coincidentally. I got on, I was on the wing, I put the scrum cap on, never wore a scrum cap before because I wanted to protect my new gash. Oh, can I just stop you there though, about the scrum cap? Was watching Jodie trying to figure out which way the scrum cap went in the changing rooms with comedy gold. It's not obvious, is it, actually? I've got a bit of sympathy with you, Jodie. <laughs> no, it was quite difficult. I was like, where do I put my hair? Right, is this supposed to be tight? And then it started itching during the warm up. I was like, is this supposed yeah. to itch? And it's like, it's because you're sweating. It's yeah, like, is that the- what it is? You've got to wait till you've got the full sweat on. If it's just a little bit of sweat, it itches. But when you've got the full head sweat, then it seems to settle down a little bit. More comfortable. Is that why people wet yeah. their heads? Could no. be. So, yeah, I was all prepared, a little bit nervous. I thought, oh, I don't want to hit my head too much because it might rip open the scar, which I probably shouldn't have played because I should have had longer to let it heal better. But I thought, no, I'm not missing out on any more rugby. Get on there, pumped, really excited. Receive the ball. I'm attacking. I run forward and the opposition player runs into me head on head again and I just drop to the floor. I can feel my face growing 
within seconds and I just burst out crying I'm like not again I don't want this again because I just hyped myself up so much I was so excited to get back there build myself back up and like like this is my time to make my comeback and show what I've got and yeah I got knocked to the floor again and my face has been growing each day since it's not been the best it's quite painful very upset it's pretty brutal I mean you really were tackled player and ball I mean you caught the ball you didn't even have a chance to to get any speed up, it was just ball and then smash. I currently resemble Quasimodo. Luckily, this time, it's a different side of my face. So Sheffield was the right eye, black eye. Then it was the centre two weeks ago, and now it's the left side. So I'm just doing it each side, evening it up. It's growing. The swelling has dropped down to my chin, so it's quite wobbly and sensitive. My eye is... A bit bloodshot, red, and now the bruising spreading to my other eye, actually, just to even out a bit more. Can you actually see your eye now, though? Because, yes. you know, like, by the end of the game, you literally had no eye. It was just a purple. So we're on Tuesday now. So two days later, I can actually open my eye. I can see out of my left eye now, which is nice. It's not fun. I not be able to drive, obviously, because my depth perception. It's not been great at work. <laughs> Very disappointed game, or lack of. We move. There's always times. more games. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the plus side, that bet's looking increasingly safe. Yeah. It's I not going to happen, know. is it? I think you might get a sympathy shag out of it, to be honest. <laughs> you have to put they'd a bag on you, they? They'd have to be so fucking pissed. I mean, I look at myself in the mirror at the minute and I'm I mean, like... I think someone's going to like go, she really needs to be looked after. I need to... Ca- this this is, could be the way of finding your one. I don't think my one is someone who's going to shag me as a sympathy. That's not what I want, huh? No, maybe they think you just need, you know, they, they want to, you know, look after you, keep you safe. Like a carer, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need a missus. I just need paid help. You definitely don't need that, Jodie, because you get banned from rugby. I w- wouldn't want anyone to touch me in any sort of way looking like this. I'd think there's something wrong with them. They've got them those weird fetishes, but like cabbage patch kids. Ugh, no. Not good. How are you anyway? Yeah, yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, just uh, living at my parents at the moment, which there's a bit of a delay in the the Wi-Fi potentially, as I am in a forest. So it can be a little slow. So apologies home for if, you? if I'm late. Um, Thetford, near sort of Ipswich, Norfolk way. Mm, yeah, I know that area. I used to live in Kelvin, near Colchester. Yeah, so Not sort of that miles way. away. Yeah, that's in Essex. Good, thanks for coming on again anyway. No worries. Thanks for having me. We were just saying, actually, before you came on, so the very first time we met on the podcast, Victoria, I'm not going to lie, I was a bit nervous about interviewing you because you've got quite an intimidating online persona. Really? You know, you're quite quite forthright in your views. You know, you, you've, you've obviously run these pretty big campaigns and have got loads of big, important people that have got behind you and you're now a successful filmmaker as well. And then we met you um, in person at the Grassroots Rugby Festival. And you were smashing pints, you were taking the piss out of the referee, you were trying to do crossbar challenges, you were just generally a nightmare. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting change in in the persona, wasn't it, Molly? Nightmare's a bit of a strong word. Okay, maybe, yeah. (laughs) No, I think standard rugby person, and it was really refreshing, because you you see these people on Instagram and you think, oh, you know, like, what are they like in real life, etc., but... It was nice because you spoke about your views about women's rugby, sport in general, and how the world's working with 
the rugby, football, etc. Same with Steph. And then like when you meet you, you're just so down to earth and so nice. And then when, when you say all these things, it's just like everyone's really like observing and listens because it's just the way you deliver it. So yeah, nightmares strong word, Matt. I feel like we've just been notorious <laughs> like that. But I wouldn't change the wording. You to be really honest, if you met all my mates, they'd turn around and say I'm an utter liability. Um which is Love so it. different. I don't really talk about that ever because I can't really because I am a complete and utter liability. But it's when I just switch off. You know, so when when life's like downtime with my friends, I don't do any of this talking because I that I mean my mates have heard my views on things a million times over, so they you know they're pretty bored of hearing it. But yeah, I am a nightmare. There is no other way to put it. So it's nice to know that still comes across. <laughs> yeah. Can we clear something up as well? So a little bird told me that when you were getting ready to play rugby down in Exeter, that you actually strapped up the wrong hand. Is that true? You're getting ready, putting some strapping on the sore hand, and you just strapped the wrong one up. Was that, was no, that just conjecture? Is that just a legend? Might, just I mean, that's a good question. It's very p- possible I did that. I don't remember doing it, but I have done it before. <laughs> so that I, I can't deny it in a way that it can't have happened. I hope I didn't, but very impossible. i love it before you came on victoria me and matt were just having a bit of like a you know kind of hash out of the issues and stuff about obviously the world cup and stuff and one thing i was saying is the most wildly frustrating thing for me at the moment is actually being able to watch it so not really the time difference and i you know i can wake up at whatever time and and set my alarm and get up and be enthusiastic at 3.30 in the morning to watch it. But finding the game or finding the series that they did on the on the lead up to the World Cup has just been awful. So I've been onto the ITV player and at the first, I couldn't even locate the documentary. Like I had to search through for about 15 minutes to even find it. Yeah, I agree. I sort of came across this last weekend probably when um, I think I woke up at 6 to watch the game which is obviously a couple of hours after and it still wasn't on ITV hub by then and admittedly I was like oh well I'll go back to sleep but I was ready to watch it and I know that usually when things are put online it's within an hour or max two hours of the program ending before a program's available and I have found that with all of this World Cup it's just not that fast so you're having to wait hours and hours I don't think I watched it until maybe nine o'clock which realistically doesn't sound that late. But in the grand scheme of things, the game ended at like five. Yeah. And for those of us that like can't or don't want to get up at 3.30 in the morning or something, it's really, really important that we don't know the result before we watch it. And the longer it's not on, the harder it is to do that, isn't it? You're constantly trying to avoid any sort of... Yeah, definitely. Of, you get that automated right. social media check, don't yeah. you? And you kind of end up just being and looking and accidentally ending up on an Instagram stories or ending up opening Twitter and there it is there's someone telling you what happened or there's the graphic with the final score you're like yeah look I didn't purposely go to social in fact I tried to avoid it all morning but I have those automatic habits and tendencies like we all unfortunately now have where I open my phone I open a social media of some description and there's the answer to the question I didn't want to know so I can't blame ITV for that but I, I have to say I've found like you like you've said, I found watching it really, really difficult. The Where the Rose documentary. Yeah. I was fortunate to see the first half of it, so I didn't have to go looking for it. But I'll agree with you, it's not been there the forefront. You can't type in women's rugby as a search term, for example, on ITV and get the World Cup. You have to type in the Rugby World Cup twenty twenty one. 
it's really specific. They haven't even created like a way for most people mm. to want to watch it to actually access it. And I'm not sure, and I'll have to double check no. this. But if you type in rugby, I'm not sure you'll you'll get it either, which is bizarre. Yeah, no, I tried so many combinations and I was just like, how many people will try and then just give up after three attempts because they're like, oh, it mustn't be on here or whatever. And I just don't think it's accessible. You, you have to know the exact answer. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And on top of that, I was doing some ironing the other morning. Gosh, shows how exciting my life is, doesn't it? <laughs> And I thought, right, I've got about enough time to watch most of the match uh, before work. So I put it on, and I reckon it was 40 minutes before I saw a ball kicked. Because, first of all, there was no way of fast-forwarding without having to sit through 20 minutes of adverts. You had to deal with all the preamble before the game. Um, and then they were extending the amount of time adverts were on in the half-time period as well. So it was almost impossible to do it in a sensible time frame. You know, very, very frustrating. I will say, though, I won't complain about the preamble and the postamble only because this is probably the first time I've seen it properly done. You know, when we're looking yeah, at the, yeah. the Premiership women's game beforehand, you just got the two teams and then the kickoff. And then at halftime, it's just the empty pitch with no commentary until the second half. So I think, if anything, it's nice to have the ceremony around it and all the extra pieces and yeah advertising sucks but money into the game itv then pays for all this kind of stuff yeah. you know we get more access etc i think we're going to take the wins with the losses yet yeah, i'm frustrated as hell that i can't watch it as easily as i'd like to very used to that feeling though not the first time we've come across that in our lives but i'm also really happy no. that they're investing in studio time i think the studio should be out in new zealand not in england but whole other problem some of the commentators are having to just not make it obvious that they're not in New Zealand which is a bit of a a whole other mm. kettle of fish I suppose but um <laughs> at least we're getting the preamble at least we're getting that kind of download from ex world cup winners and and ex players and stars and you know you've got Maggie on there every week or you've got Nolly on there and they come with serious understanding of the women's game like we have to sort of take that one as a win one thing I was going to say is like I feel wildly frustrated a lot of the time about the different things that the adverts aren't applicable necessarily to the audience, etc. Like all the minor stuff. But ultimately, I want to watch rugby and I want to support our team and I want the women's game to grow and stuff. But I read this article, I think it was in The Guardian, but don't quote me. And it was about the first Women's World Cup was 1991. We're here. Well, yeah. We should be seeing this World Cup as the stepping stone to the future of women's rugby rather than being like, we want everything now. Should we be like well in 2025 we've got it in England we learn from this experience of the frustrations and what we could do better etc we focus on how far we've come and use this World Cup as a stepping stone into the next one to make all these things right and keep growing the game and I thought that was quite a good way of looking at it if you take your frustration aside like positively look how far we've come this is the stepping stone to get even better next time a hundred percent. And I think fortunately for us in many ways, New Zealand have set quite a low bar. They've clashed their Black Ferns quarterfinal with the All Blacks versus Japan game, which quite frankly is obscene. They've known that quarterfinal is there for two years and then to accidentally not realise. They then blame Japan and they then blame World Rugby, but never actually apologise or anything. So, you know, little, it sounds little, that's not little at all. That's an enormous collapse of their New Zealand rugby infrastructure in every way but there's no way the RFU would do that don't get me wrong 
everybody makes mistakes, but the RFU won't make that mistake. When they said the opening games were sold out, they weren't really sold out. They had three matches throughout the day. They'd given away loads of tickets. They'd given away the full 45,000, or they'd allocated the full 45,000, but they hadn't necessarily sold out for the key match. And again, England won't do that. The RFU won't do that. So 100%, I think there's many things you can look on it and say this is exactly that. We're 30 years on for the first Women's Rugby World Cup, which was set about by four women because everyone else said they wouldn't do it. Yeah, three years later in 94, World Rugby then technically kicked off what they had called the first Women's Rugby World Cup. And it became a bit more of a an established tournament. And now, 30 years later, here we are complaining about players' bonuses not being big enough, that games aren't accessible enough, that there are people there willing and, and desperate to watch it, and that we have a fully professional England women's team. So I think you're right we're, with the good and the bad. I think we'll do what we did with the Olympics and show how to do it properly. I totally agree. I hope so. Just a question, and this is more, this might be just my ignorance, but obviously New Zealand's known for being ahead of the curve in rugby skill, like, you know, it has been for decades since, since forever, really. But culturally, maybe behind the Europe in terms of equality and diversity, I don't, I don't know whether that's a fair comment or not. It does seem as if, so you're going back to the Japan All Blacks clash, that to me smacks of them just forgetting, just forgetting that it was even on until it was too late, until somebody flagged it. You know, it just strikes me as if powers that be in rugby union in, in New Zealand perhaps aren't really on the same page with women's rugby as maybe England, France, Canada, and so on. You know, those nations are. It's so hard to know when you don't live there, isn't it? Uh, I mean, Alice Soper was probably the best person to really know. But from the outside, every time there's an opportunity for New Zealand rugby to take a moment to shine a light on the Black Ferns, they fuck it up. We had the same thing with International Women's Day. They thanked all the male players' wives for supporting the male players. When they have a whole Black Ferns team, they could have celebrated and supported. They have female employees that work for New Zealand rugby, but instead we thank the wives. And there's all these little things like that where it essentially reeks of the undertone of the internal culture of of a company. You can't hide it when this kind of stuff comes out. You can hide it in corporate formal press releases but you can't hide it when people make these decisions because at the end of the day the people at the top will have a certain approach or thought on women in society or women in sport or the black ferns or women's rugby or whatever it may be and that will filter down and those decisions will then be made based on what your boss tends to do and that generally is how it works so these seemingly small moments actually tell you everything you need to know about New Zealand rugby's genuine approach to the women's game. And they've done it with bringing in the coach that they brought in recently. They flew him in 20 years ago to fix a problem, to cover up a problem that they had. They've done this report. It shows there are fundamental issues with their approach to the women's game, with their approach to diversity and their approach to their players' mental health and well-being. They clearly have problems. I don't know them well enough to probably really comment expertly on this but from the outside and from the other side of the world it looks to me like they couldn't care less about their women's team it does feel like that a little bit to me that you know they'll win and then all of a sudden they'll be all over the place and if they don't they'll probably just be oh well <laughs> on to the next tournament and guess what the they'll bury it yeah, yeah. the all blacks are playing england at twickenham next week it's frustrating to watch from the outside looking in 
One thing I would say is um, I thought that potentially the coverage and the promotion of, of the World Cup in New Zealand would be better. So I was speaking to Kayla and my friends Joe and Leanne who actually live out in New Zealand. They've got a visa over there. And Kayla was saying they're not even showing the Women's World Cup on normal television. You have to wait if you don't have the Sky equivalent or the BT equivalent over there. It doesn't come on TV for hours after, like you're talking six, 12 hours after the game's been played. And that's the New Zealand games plus even the other ones. And I just thought, actually, if that was us, we'd be on BBC or be on the red button. We would be on the main stage and the other games would be available for people to watch either on iPlayer, ITV or whatever. So it just shows like how much value they're putting into the women's game, which is a real shame because actually New Zealand are potentially, hopefully, going to get to the final against England. And you would expect them to be showcasing it and promoting it around the country. Yeah, you would. And that's really disappointing to hear, isn't it? I didn't actually know that. And there you go. That pretty much shows the mentality as potentially as a as a society in general as how they view women's sport it has a hugely detrimental impact if it's not on terrestrial tv i mean i'm a big cricket fan and since england cricket was taken off terrestrial television there's been a massive decline in participation at club and grassroots level because you just has. don't see it you just don't get caught up in the hype of it and if women's sport is already behind the eight ball this is going to make it even worse well, exactly. The men's game struggling as it is, right? We already know that. We don't need to go into the twos and fro's of the Prem clubs. But they, um, one thing to really look at is Premiership Rugby have got seven games this season being played live on ITV. The last one was the Quinn Sharks game, which was a fantastic game to have fortunately been on ITV. Uh, this weekend, I think it's Sunday, it's Northampton and Saracens. I could be wrong, but I think it is. They said the Quinns game had 600,000 people watch it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a huge audience for rugby when it doesn't have a weekly reoccurring match to watch. Like F1 is getting millions of people watching it, but everybody knows when those races are. Everybody knows when the season is. But for rugby to suddenly pull in 600,000 viewers live on ITV on a Sunday afternoon, For the first probably game they've had streamed live on ITV in a really long time, that shows that this is that that is the only way to get the game seen, whether it's male or female. You have to make sure that sport is live accessible at awake times for people to be willing to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) And affordable. I was just going to go to sale sharks, which is not far for for us, Molly, is it? It was something like 36 quid to go and watch it, which you say, okay, that's not that bad relative to the football match. That's an increase of, well, I don't know, at least 25% on the last time that I went to a game at times where cost of living has gone up exponentially. And so I'm not getting bad crowds at the moment, to be honest, but what will happen is it will just go the other way. Once we get into the winter months or they get on a bit of a losing run, it'll go in reverse. Well, that's it. Sharks last season weren't they averaging a couple of thousand people per game, the men's teams, which is yeah. a genuine problem. Yeah. That's a cash flow yeah. problem. It's this age-old mm. approach to business. Right, we're, we're not getting enough people in, so we need more money, so we're going to up the prices. Then you get even less people. Lower prices, more people, fill the stadiums, build an experience. Then you can slowly raise the prices a few pounds, five pounds here and there, but you can't jump your ticket prices when you're not getting the people in in the first place. You just don't bother. You know, you guys will stay down where you are and go and watch a different team play and go watch a local team play. Yeah. 
No, totally. And you know, if the men's teams are struggling, then it's good. that'll have an impact on the women's game as well because the clubs that are supporting the women's teams, like itself, for example, they're not going to have any money to put back into the women's game from there either, are they? Um, exactly. It's just unfortunately a, an endless cycle, isn't it? I feel like we're struggling at the moment in the North, especially for rugby, like the money, everything. Just So just to give you a bit of context, Vic, we're in Champs 2 North and we've just found out today that another team's folded in our league. So we've now had Waterloo fold and Preston, which is crazy. So we've gone from a league of, I think, 12 to 10. And that sounds really petty, but that's ultimately four games that each team isn't going to get to play. And then, you know, we've got people who are in the premiership round here like our closest team going to Loughborough or whoever and they're charging £10 a ticket we've got local clubs that are charging £8 on the gate to go in and watch a grassroots game like it just blows my mind and I get we've got to raise money but surely making rugby accessible and then getting people through the gate and being like oh buy a coffee or you know buy a program for two pounds or join the raffle that's kind of like a pound two pound but eight pound to watch a grassroots game or you know ten pounds go and watch a women's premiership game in the cost of living it does seem quite extensive and I don't feel like we could even charge for the women's game like we get probably as many people to watch the women's game at crew as the men do and we don't charge so if we charge you're probably looking at a quarter of that that would come and watch the game Exactly. You're better off trying to get the money behind the bar once they're there for free than you are trying to charge people to just be there. It doesn't make sense to charge people to be there. That doesn't make a fun environment to be in. If if you're charging, then you need to put on entertainment of some description, whether that's stands or stalls or free food or a free beer or whatever it may be. You need to give people a reason to spend that money and telling them they're coming to watch grassroots rugby is not the reason. Grassroots rugby is free. That's why we all go. So here's a question for you, actually. My instinct is as well, when things are difficult like the way they are at the minute, it exponentially hits the poorest, which has often been a charge levied at rugby as a whole, hasn't it? That it, it's not inclusive, it doesn't do enough to access deprived or the more urban areas of society and so on. Have you seen that happen in, in the game and particularly in the South? I guess so. I think the problem we've got is England rugby don't really struggle to fill Twickenham for a men's game. So why would they change their approach to anything? They're still sellouts, even at what, 120, 140, 170 quid a ticket. So until it really starts to impact their pocket at Twickenham, it's not really going to make any difference to the game because that's where they're focusing their time and money, right? It's how many people can we get in to fill Twickenham to then maybe pump the money back into the game. But the reality is the people buying those tickets right now are getting older and the number of people following them through is not the same. I cannot afford 170 quid a ticket to go to Twickenham. And to be honest, I'd prefer to take my 170 quid to the pub and spend it there where I get a better view and I'm not cold. A very negative way of looking yeah. at it. But the reality is that is kind of how I see it. They're charging too much. Putting on a DJ at half time, a very well-known one at that, doesn't make me want to go to Twickenham. It's not an entertainment like the NFL is in the States. No. And charging those ticket prices, there isn't a reason to do that. You've got all the sponsors in the car park paying to put up tents, plus all the people in the stadium paying to be there. They're not actually putting entertainment on. Other people are. So I think that will inherently impact the game and that they might notice in maybe five years' time, but it'd be too late by then because we'll have all got bored of this 
infrastructure and gone and done something else and gone and found something that we can watch and that we can afford to do that makes us feel welcome. Uh, and it sounds to me like the men's side of the game is starting to feel a bit like the women's side of the game always has, priced out and unwelcome. And elitist with it, you know, and that affects the the actual atmosphere when you're there, doesn't it? I mean, I went to Twickenham a couple of years ago and I'm not going to lie, I, I felt out of place. There was a lot of boozy corporate people there who were not rugby fans particularly. So there was a lot of football style aggression towards the referee, a lot of idiotic comments about certain passages of play. I just came away for it thinking, do you know what? If I'd gone to Tamizin's rugby club on Twickenham Green and saw my old teammates and put you know, a hundred quid behind the bar, women to walk afterwards to be fair. But, um, <laughs> you know, if I'd had that experience instead on a big screen, I'd have had a better day. Yeah. And I think we're all starting to feel the same. Yeah. Not yeah. good. Right. Let's all beat, let's get a bit more upbeat. Who do we reckon is going to win the World Cup? Well, I think that's a pretty simple answer, isn't it? Yes. England. <laughs> England. Exactly. I think it's I'm going starting to, to get be... a little bit wobbly. Are you? Really? I think it's going to be an England. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> France final. Do you? Interesting. Levi, first start for Crew and Nantwich ladies today in the first team. What happened? <laughs> so you cleaned through over the try line, then what did you do? I did indeed. I kept on going. Yeah. Kept going. I just kept going. I could not see the line. I was so far past the line. The line was gone. It is what it is. Actually, I'd really like to see how far over it was. Yeah. I want to see that. It, it was well over the dead ball line. <laughs> That was a, a classic grassroots moment. Do you know what, though? I think, to be fair, for my first game of that to have happened, fair, I'm never going to forget it, am I? No. Not anybody else. Can we get Vic's viewpoint on the what we discussed on the pod on whenever we yeah, recorded it? The French scrum halves. Yeah, so Vic, we were discussing the French scrum halves because they're married. Oh, and they? I was just blown away by this because I was like... How the hell do you, you know, be married to someone, in love with someone, really happy with someone, work together and be playing for the same position at a high level? Like, it just blew my mind. Like, and then we were joking about, do you just put a bit of extra washing up liquid on the floor so they slip over, you know, they're injured, whatever. But how does that even work as a relationship dynamic? It must be crazy. You'd have to front that really early on, wouldn't you? And be like, look, We've got to put the somehow compartmentalise this piece. I have worked with people I've been in relationships with before. And you, I guess we always sort of attempted to compartmentalise it. And you have a bit of a stop, no more work or no more that certain topic or whatever it may be. But to be the same position, if I start, you don't. But then I start. Or if you start, I don't. It's a really tough... God, yeah. I don't know if I'd be able to do it. I don't so, know if I'd yeah. just be too competitive and I'd be like... Pfft. I'm winning this. Yeah. I was just like, it's a no from me. I couldn't do it. They want to represent their country. This is the biggest honour in the world. And then the person that you love more than anything wants exactly the same thing. And you can't both have that. I was just like, we were joking about obviously the washing up liquid, you know, you know, not cooking the chicken properly for tea before training. Like, <laughs> you know, where do you go with it? And we were talking about the dynamics and and how that would work. But then ultimately the one that starts is just, has she broke a leg? She did a knee, didn't she? Yeah, and she's come home. I thought she's still out there. I thought she stayed out there. 
Oh, or maybe she's still out there. But equally, you'd be like, would you be happy that they've hurt themselves? No. <laughs> but then you'd be like, oh, well, it's my shirt for the rest of the tournament. And I would, it just blew my mind. I don't know how yeah, I would cope. A bit mad. Do you they won as well? Imagine they win. She scores the winning try or something. And then you've got to spend the rest of your life looking at the winner's medal on the wall that you could have had. Well, you'll both get the winner's medal. You'll both get that because she's in the squad. If they win the World Cup, they'll both get a medal. Yeah, but are you? (laughs) I know. That'd be rancid. God, I'm glad I'm not doing it. I'm glad it's not me and one of you two. Jesus, you sound horrendous. (laughs) I'm thinking, in my head, I'm thinking like, well, actually, you've got a training partner. You're training for the same things. You've got the same goals. You'll eat the same. You'll set up the same. Sports massages after work. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Share kit. Exactly. So I don't think and Molly's just thinking how she can hoodwink and sabotage. Oh, yeah, bad time. Says a lot about you, mate. So Victoria, how are the tours going? How how's the No Women No Try Roadshow been? Joe, you know, it's been amazing. Like the people that come along, the kids for me, honestly, kids, they get me every time. They're just rooms packed full of people. Basically like we well, they're exactly like we did down in Exeter. The room packed full of people who just want to talk about the progression of the game. We had down at Truro, we had the Cormolar, a few male representatives turn up, which was fantastic. They had an open conversation with women in the room. You know, it wasn't just a conversation with the panel, but actually everyone discussing what they wanted to do and how they felt and how to approach things. Yeah, it's been unbelievable, actually. And the kind of happiness and joy that you get from it. Shauna was fab at Medway. She's uh, a couple of videos came up her with one of the little girls teaching her how to pass and things. And um, I can't really properly describe it without just saying it's just these wonderfully wholesome evenings that everybody has yeah. a joyful discussion. Uh, it's not just this serious chat, but there is laughter and there are jokes and we do cover the tougher topics and then everyone gets pissed at the bar afterwards. Name me a better evening. Do you know what? We want a massive come down after Exeter. Honestly, all of us, weren't we? We, we, yeah. we were so nervous about the whole thing and we're like paranoid that it's going to be an absolute car crash. And in the end, it was so far away from all of the kind of doom mongering. And it was just a, such a joyful day. Just met some cool people, so many laughs and just felt like actually the more people do this sort of stuff, the better the world is, not just rugby, you know, <laughs> it's just a great day, you know. Yeah, it's exactly what they're like. Just think that, but on a on a, a kind of bigger scale in terms of, I think we've done five now and I have four in November. So two next week up in Scotland and then uh, Northampton the following Monday. So we do three in five days, which was a small organisational error on my part I think and then we have uh, another one about 10 days after that and then we're done for the year so they're going to be fab um, we've got some really great stuff coming with Guinness to Edinburgh and also to Bedford Blues like some really nice little extras that we're able to bring unfortunately we couldn't do it for all of them I'd have loved to but there's only so much I can do as one person they've been really good fun so I just feel really happy when I leave. It takes hours to come down from it, you know, when you get home, you, you lie down in bed yeah. and you just think it's through. Like, actually, that was really cool. And those kids left really happy about rugby and want to play more, yeah. That was definitely like us, wasn't it? Are you coming to the Northwest? Supposed to be in Leeds, but unfortunately that one didn't happen. If somebody right. wants to do it, wants to help me organise it, I'm very happy It's to. a shame we can't do it crew. Yes. Should we do one, Molly? Yeah. Do a Why? crew one. Yeah, we could do a crew one. And do another joint grassroots podcast, No Women, No Try. So we've got the facilities, haven't we? 
Yeah. We've got a load of people. Molly, are you in the same league as West Park? We're in the equivalent of them. So we're, the, we're champs to north. They're champs to are northeast. Are they northeast? Uh, okay, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, because well. when I played for them, I, we used to play... It'll be north, um, won't it? Waterloo. So I thought you might be in the same league, but never mind. Yeah. Championship 1 North is West Park Leeds, isn't it? Yes. So we're at Waterloo. It's a big area. Yeah. Waterloo were in the equivalent. Well, no, they were in the league above us. So they were in the Champs 1. And then they came down into our league this year. But then they've obviously folded, which is one of the teams in our league. So it's just crazy. Like, it's so sad. Like, when Preston pulled out today, I was just like, oh, God, what is happening to the game? I can't believe that Waterloo has even folded. It seems mad. It's devastating. There's quite a lot of our girls that used to play for Waterloo, me included. So it's, it's yeah, it's really sad. So, but hey, you know, hopefully we'll keep growing. And sometimes I think that there's too many women's teams in like particular areas, like in Manchester, there's like five different teams. They're all kind of struggling on the teetering on 20, 22 in a squad. And then I'll be like, well, why don't you just amalgamate and become three teams of having like 30, 35 players? So there was a story doing the rounds uh, last week about a an incident that happened between Reading Reddingsians RFC and their rivals Bracknell Ladies based in Berkshire. Essentially, a player was hospitalised during an incident in a ruck and ended up with a spinal injury. It's obviously the worst possible thing that can happen on a rugby pitch. It's certainly one of the worst things. You know, it's very rare when it happens, and it's, but it's also very serious. But in this situation, the player who was injured is actually sued the player that caused the injury and is basically claiming that the player who caused the injury both acted maliciously and recklessly. I think we have to be really careful and say their solicitors or their lawyer is saying. It is alleged that. Yeah, (laughs) we just have to say alleged that, don't we? Yeah, the player in question has basically said that she demonstrated a reckless disregard for the player's safety. So, Either way you look at it, it's probably about the most tragic story you can read in rugby because you've got a player who's got a lifetime injury but will almost certainly never play the game, may never even walk again. And then you've got a player that's now carrying the burden of responsibility for having caused that injury. And to add an extra layer, there's an outside possibility that they're going to be prosecuted and sued in the civil courts and therefore be responsible for paying a large sum of money, which could be in excess of a million pounds, damages. So it's horrendous in every, every which way you look at it. But the question I've got is, first of all, at what point is there an element of liability on the player? And second point, really, for me, is is grassroots rugby in the women's game, are there too many situations where there's mismatches between players of particular sizes? The biggest part of that story was the player who was injured was significantly smaller, both in height and weight, than the, the player that was alleged to have caused the injury. That's the one thing that I read when I was reading the story, which I thought was a really... Because they, they say that it well, it's the first case of its kind. So whatever the outcome, you know, if the outcome is that it that they are, I think it will be the death of rugby, especially a grassroots rugby, because no one would dare play. I wouldn't play if I thought I was going to get sued. I think the one thing that really struck out for me about this, and it's really sad, it really is sad that this young girl's got a, a life-changing in- injury and it's going to the high courts. You know, I get why her career, she was a PT, so that's obviously has a massive impact. But it's the way that they were saying that it was a, they were playing with aggressive physicality and that they cite the other players' weight a lot. Yeah. That's the main thing that really struck out to me. It's kind of like, well, I could be tackled by someone who's seven stone and they could absolutely floor me. 
if they tackle me correctly and in the right way. It doesn't matter on how big you are, does it? If we're talking yeah. about that, then we're that's a massive change in rugby, isn't it? If you're talking about physicality. The inference in the article that I read, I mean, obviously, you know, I've only read a couple of sources that, that tend to mirror each other. The inference seems to be within the allegations that the player who caused the injury acted in a, with disregard for the other player's well-being. In other words, used their weight and height and overall size advantage to deliberately cause some kind of injury, which is pretty shocking. Yeah, so I was looking and thought, actually, are they suing the player? And then I thought, I wonder what we do get insured off by the RFU. And we do get public liability insurance. So if, like this happening here, so if you injure another player at the, at the same or another club in a game or a training session and you're found guilty of negligence, then you are covered up to £25 really? million pounds by your RFU insurance. Yeah, public liability insurance means that if it can be proven that you as a player have caused injury, loss or damage to another player, referee or coach through negligence, then you become legally liable to pay compensation to the injured person. So it's actually, it might be this story is a kind of a non-story, you know what I mean? As in, well, you know, she's lost her income and everything else. So she's claiming through the RFU. But yeah, um, although if you play schools rugby or uni, you're not covered under the RFU. That is quite, quite interesting. interesting. Well, you can imagine what the discussion point would be, wouldn't it, over the idea of negligence, as in who is negligent? Is it the player themselves? Is it the referee that's negligent? Is it, you know, where does the fault line come from? Because, you know, I'm no lawyer, but when that case goes to court, I imagine there'll be a lot of debate over what constitutes reckless action on the part of a rugby player, because you're constantly performing actions on the pitch that might result in injury, aren't you? Yeah, and I guess this is where I was kind of thinking, unless the ref is kind of like, you high tackled, you're red carded off. If nothing has been recorded from a ref's point of view, and then that's happened and they're saying that they were playing outside of the laws, then is the ref liable because they haven't done anything about exactly. it? Exactly. I don't know where you stand on your ref in. If only we knew a lawyer. If only a lawyer had turned up to the podcast tonight. Yes. I think they, there's a reason why the lawyer know. hasn't turned up to the podcast. <laughs> The ref can penalise dangerous play, but can't actually stop it happening. So, and you're a perfect example of that last weekend, Jodie, aren't you? The ref couldn't have stopped that happening. So that's a really good example, actually, because say, for example, Jodie, you were injured and your injury caused some form of disfigurement or paralysis of your face, say, which then had an impact on, I don't know, your job or caused you to have mental health issues that meant you were sick for a period of time or whatever right and you decided right that's not on it was a dangerous tackle it was a high tackle i'm going to sue the disney player for going high now the disney's player's defense would be but i wasn't penalized for a high tackle because they weren't penalized for a high tackle despite yeah. the fact that when i spoke to the ref that's after true. the match the referee admitted that he made a mistake that's true but the rugby laws aren't Laws, yes. laws. You can't use them in a court of law, can you? Yeah. So <laughs> there's very distinct, isn't there? Like for a yellow card and a red card, and there's sections within. I only know this because of having to stand in front of the RFU a few times for disciplinaries. Not me personally, but under a club banner, it's like a constitution, isn't it? So I think it is quite binding in my view if i was in her position if you had lost an eye though yeah just to give you an idea if you had lost your eye 
you would be covered under your RFU insurance for 25 grand. Nice. For each 24-hour stay in hospital, you get £25. Really? From the RFU? Yeah. Interesting. your research. I was like thinking, well, hold on a minute. You've got a case. Is she actually suing the player as in a civil case or is it? And it's going to high court. So I think it's coming through the RFU's insurance that it's going through. It might be a spin. But, yeah, I think if it does mean that you end up then getting sued and – the impact on that grassroots rugby would be yeah. massive. The interesting thing as well, though, is because I have this debate with golf all the time. So in golf, basically, you're encouraged to take out personal ability insurance. Well, there was a case recently where a golfer hit a bad tee shot, hit a player in the eye. They lost their eye. They then sued that player and rewarded quite a lot of money, which ended up basically you know, bankrupting the golfer who did something by accident. Now, the discussion around it was in golf, you're supposed to give warning if you hit a, an errant tee shot or whatever. They didn't, and therefore that cemented liability bit but it's, it's obviously a very rare and very serious incident but the thing that's quite shocking about the rugby incident compared to the golf example i gave you there is that you don't in the main hit a golf ball with the intention of hurting somebody yeah i can say with absolute confidence that in rugby there are players who have deliberately sought to cause harm to another player and it may not be harm that's going to result in a spinal injury. Do you know what I mean? I think that's that's where accidents happen. But there is an element of malice sometimes in certain players and in certain actions on the pitch, isn't there? I mean, if, you know, individually, have you been on the receiving end of those incidents? Yeah, but nothing ever bad has come from them. I would say that if I would be in her shoes, she's got two kids. She's obviously paralysed now. I would do exactly the same as her because you've got to think the long-term costs of being paralysed. No one's going to pay for her wheelchairs. No one's going to pay for her physiotherapy. She's lost her job. She's going to be on disability benefits, which isn't great in this country. She has to think of the future of her children. I don't know too much about her life and what partner and if she has one or doesn't, but that's what you have to think about. And especially when, you know, when your club has got public liability insurance to cover those things, that's what that insurance is for, isn't it? I mean, I run a company that has outdoor activities and I'm being sued by someone who rode a bike and the pedal went into their back of their leg and gave them an Achilles injury. But it's not me that they're suing. They're suing my company. You know, there's nothing wrong with the bike. Just they couldn't pedal. Yeah. You know, if you've rode a bike in the 80s, you know what it's like being oh, yeah, it hurts, in the yeah. back of the leg by a metal pedal. I mean, these aren't metal pedals. But so, you know, it was just their foot slipped off, the pedal's gone in. It just so happens it's hit there. So... I don't see that as them. I did at first. I was really angry about it. But now, a year later, I've kind of calmed down a little bit and taken it kind of like you, Jodie, actually. If that's impacted her life, that's why I have public liability Also, insurance. you also do have to take your own ownership. Recently, I think we, it was a couple of weeks back, an insurance guy came over to do the whole sales pitch. And being in the position I am now, I haven't got any dependents or anything, but I have a house. And if I get permanently injured with my job, it's not a sit at the table job it's a physical job I've got to be out that's my income that's my income gone I don't know what I'm going to do so I had to take it seriously and I've got my own insurances now which will pay out which have me covered if anything like that prevents me from working in future and I took that own ownership because I don't want this situation to have to happen to me so if I was in a situation I would sue but if it was to happen to me now I wouldn't need to have to sue because I would have 
a fallback option. Prop Life was on on the yeah. podcast, wasn't she? Um, and she raised a very point. I mean, she got injured playing and then nearly lost yeah. her house and everything yeah. from it, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? And uh, I mean, we had one yeah. in our club, yeah. didn't we? Um, I mean, he's gone on to play wheelchair rugby mm. for England and everything else. And this woman has now gone on to play hockey. Yeah, wheelchair hockey? hockey, I think it was, yeah. Which is amazing. No. Coming back to the, the overarching point though which is look accidents happen you pay your club membership you know and you register with the RFU and that gives you some coverage under insurance so in the worst possible situations there is some recourse in a lot of cases it's rarely adequate if it's a very serious injury to sort you out you know so it's always worth getting your own insurance but then there's the other point of malice within the game isn't there so you know, look, I've been on the receiving end of dangerous incidents that have been designed to hurt me as a player. And hand on heart, there have been times where I've deliberately sought to to hurt an opposition player. Nothing particularly serious, you know, just the odd, I don't know, late tackle deliberately to upset a fly half or something. Nothing that I'd call really violent. But I think it's an open secret in the game that this happens. I mean, you know, Lou, you've played in the front row. I'm guessing that there have been times where you felt concern for your own personal safety and I dare say you've sought to put people under pressure as well. Since I've been injured myself I just think at grassroots level there's such big differences in people's sizes, abilities, weights, playing mental states so some people go out there to gonna fuck some shit up man I'm gonna really hurt someone and other people want to just go and play rugby and have a fair game and enjoy it having played for a long time I just think you know I've always gone out and thought you go out there and you take your chances you know the risks and so you play rugby knowing that but then being injured myself I just think you can't take those risks without having your own insurance anymore and that's what's probably put me off from playing post-injury is because I don't think I can afford to have another injury. And, you know, once you've had one injury, you're more prone to having another. I've always felt like I'm invincible and obviously I'm not. So I just think think it's a dangerous game and you go on that pitch knowing those risks and you should always have insurance. RFU insurance is great, but you've got to have some personal insurance as well. Even if it's just for the small things, like, for example, Jodie's probably not been able to work for probably two or three weeks now because of some injuries. She should be getting some sort of compensation through her own insurance for that because a lot of people, I don't know what Jodie's circumstances is, but are, but a lot of people won't actually be able to earn yeah. any money from know that and this lady who's now in a terrible terrible situation you know what the heck is she gonna do for the rest of her life yeah. of course she's gonna sue because why would you not if you're in your 30s or your 20s that's a lot of life yeah. left <laughs> not being able to walk and stuff so look it's all good you know i think you do have this feeling of invincibility when you play rugby you've got to otherwise you'd never <laughs> on that mm. pitch right yeah you've got to take the right steps to look after yourself yeah. and unless something happens to you or someone very close to you you never really think yeah. about it but when it does you go oh my god actually that's <laughs> yeah, yeah okay i think as coaches actually jody it's interesting your take on this given that you're going through your coaching at the moment i think we have a duty of care to tackle what we know to be deliberately aggressive play i don't think we always do that I think sometimes you quite like players who are confrontational and quite like 
to stick it up them, so to speak. As a coach, you know when a line's been crossed. And I think it's important that you raise that because I wouldn't want it on my conscience that I turned a blind eye to a player who I knew was a bit reckless. And they did cause a serious injury to somebody that was a bit more serious than your standard knocks and bruises. You know, I've broken a player's ribs myself as a player. It's not very nice. You're standing there waiting for somebody to be carried off on a stretcher when you know that you've caused that injury. And that's something relatively minor in the grand scheme of things. And certainly was a rugby incident rather than a deliberately violent act. But I've seen on the pitch as a player, as a coach, coaching women and, you know, watching men, situations that could have resulted in something really serious and we've not dealt with it in any way. I haven't, obviously, only doing one coaching session, I haven't been quite new. I haven't experienced it yet. I'd like to think that I would call it out and make the game safe. But like you say, would you prioritise winning over the safety of the opposition players if you know a player is more boisterous than the others? I don't know. I haven't come, uh, been in that situation yeah. yet. I think going back to what Lou said, though, there are players that, you know, that talk about it. They go out with the intention of winning causing... at any means necessary. Not, but it's not even winning. It's more they go out with the intention of being aggressive towards other people, you know. Less so in the women's game than the men's game, definitely. But it does happen. I've seen it in my own eyes several times. I've been on the receiving yeah. end of it quite yeah. a lot, actually. And it does often happen in the It's you got row. to punch me face, Oh, I've had all sorts happen. I've been punched loads. I had all sorts of bits pinched and grabbed and Jodie, we've talked about this. Not your own team, <laughs> please. <laughs> I've experienced this with opposition players, but have you witnessed it within our squad itself, any individual players that you've noticed yourself, Matt? Not recently, but yeah, I have done. I mean, I, I've seen Vic used to do this. She deliberately target a particular player oh. and, and try and hurt them. Mercedes would. Yeah, she would. Yeah. I would say Molly gets. Yeah, she targeted. does 100%. Yeah. I mean, she's not on the call, actually. Yeah. She was, in fact, she was targeted on, on, yeah, on Sunday, wasn't she? Yeah, she was on Sunday. She was targeted. And I think it's not done in a malice way, but I think it's like we need to try and take her out because she's the risk yeah. of the game. You know, if you can take her out, so maybe they go yeah. harder on them. That's totally yeah. it. You know, if you're known as being the kingpin to the whole match of the game, of the opposition game, you're going to go, and I would do it. I would say, right, number 10 is going to get it because they're the one who's going to win the game for the opposition. All right, well, I'm going to just target yeah. them. That's exactly what yeah. happens to Joyce, do you get people patting you on the head and saying, there, there, dear? Uh, they usually offer a hand up. Come on, let's get you up there. You've got your pills. <laughs> do you want to get your stick pills. for you? Actually, you just stay there. We'll yeah. work around you. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, just fetch the bolt gun. Actually, I'm thing. I kind of like um, a pitch like the equivalent of a stunner stair lift, but just round. <laughs> I do not expect her to run on the pitch and then play. I expect to be delivered yeah. onto the pitch now at my age. I think it's very wrong that I have to run out. <laughs> Can we be honest? Because then I need a wee. Oh, fuck's sake, Joyce. You're <laughs> 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 have you not got your, your tenor on standing order I think I'm the oldest player on the pitch and the only one that doesn't piss themselves when they play got a good oh. pelvic floor have you I have what a brag or <laughs> <laughs> well, that or I've just got no feeling there anymore I have no idea whether I'm leaving this <laughs> <laughs> all yeah. over some it's second like Botox, Yeah. Can you have Botox in your vagina? I don't know why you would. I'm sure you could. Hold on. I've got an aesthetic <laughs> specialist here. Uh, let me just ask her. Philippa, 
Did you have Botox to you, Veg? I don't think I... so. Not directly into vagina, but maybe like on the labia or, or no. the vulva area. She says no, oh. no. <laughs> well, it's not in her remit, but you know, yeah, I might be I able to find a specialist. I'm not sure why you would. <laughs> I'm not volunteering for that either. You know. <laughs> would you like to be my model? <laughs> uh, it's a hard no. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't so much be a hard no. It'd be more a baggy no, wouldn't it? A floppy, floppy no. no. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, l- last point on this subject then, to, before we move on. So going back to size differentials on the pitch, I, I do think it's particularly pronounced in the women's game compared to the men's game. I think the game on Sunday, yeah. the lightest player on the pitch, I'm going to say, was Levi. <laughs> Levi, who yeah. was the architect of one of the finest grassroots moments that I've seen on the pitch for a while. I'll let her explain oh, that in yeah. the clip that I'll put on later in the podcast. But I reckon what she if she's seven stone, I'd be surprised. She's pretty small. Whereas the heaviest I'm going to put at 16 stone, I would say. Yeah, give or take a few <laughs> stone, yeah, either side. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, so in other words, more than double the weight, which is significant, mm. isn't it? Look, that's going to hurt, yeah. isn't it? At any but day. we've got to take in, if, you've got, if you're 16 stone and you're, you're running, running at you're 16 somebody. Stone, really, are you, Joyce? <laughs> the best in modelling. Unless it's a strong tailwind <laughs> and it's downhill. Think- Careful, Matt. I reckon men would be really surprised if we put all our weights up on a little card and then ask people to put the weight against the player. I think you'd be really surprised how much some people weigh more yeah. than they look and others weigh less. But you, you could, it's physics, isn't it? If you're running at somebody or walking with pace, yeah. it's like driving a car, isn't it? You've suddenly increased what yeah. you're going to get hit by. If you're both running together, yeah. yeah, it's a big hit. But then in the Southern Hemisphere, they the junior rugby, they play by weight, don't they? Or a bit of physicality. Yeah. In New Zealand and Australia, they, they, it's by physicality rather than in the early The question years, is, is it, it going to hurt less if you get hit at 40 miles an hour by a lorry or at 40 miles an hour by a mini? It's going to hurt the same, isn't it? Still fucking fast. <laughs> Well, you're taking in 40 miles an hour of a lorry that weighs three ton and a mini at 40 miles an hour weighing... Well, put it this way, should, yeah, but would the lorry and a mini be in the same race? You know, this is the no. thing, isn't it? I'm not saying that you should ban people who are particular weights or whatever at the, at the lower end, but I think, again, it comes down to like refereeing and stuff. And, you know, so you have an uncontested scrum, don't you, if the packs are badly mismatched or there's no train front row. So I'm not sure what the equivalent would be for backs. <laughs> you can't tackle the little one, um, but you probably could catch him anyway. It's like when you play with the old people, isn't it? I could have an armband on to say that I can't be tackled. Yeah. Or then, just a white stick. If that's an issue, but I think play touch. Been, yeah. Yeah. It's a complex subject, but again, I think it comes down to like, first of all, coaches have got to be confident the players can take it i mean like you know when we had india playing for she was tiny and she would quite happily take down bigger players than her and she was very good at evading the the big ones as well but when you've got a situation where you're playing genuine grassroots rugby where players don't yet have the conditioning to play rugby to have the you know the physical body conditioning to to withstand some of the impacts and stuff and you put them in a concert situation with people that are twice their weight that for me is can be dangerous and like referees have got to be really on it haven't they to spot where What's it's a solution it's, then? it's risky i don't know i mean the ref to say so you can't play in that position because you're clearly 
too small to be a forward. Oh, you can't play that position. You're too big to be a back. Is, I think we've got to fatten up the little ones, haven't we, basically? So, sorry, at half-time, park yeah. high, get off. <laughs> yeah. No more size 10s in the game. So we need more pies for the backs, less pies for the forwards. There you basically. go. But I, I remember um, there was a game, I think it's happened a few times, Shane Moll's not on, but I know that she's been pulled to the side by refs to say... Stop being so just, aggressive. Uh, not so much aggression. Yeah, not so hard. Well, I would say, hard. on the whole, Molly's somebody who recognises when it's appropriate to go hard and when it isn't. I can't see her charging full tilt into somebody who clearly was playing their first game. And- no, no, no. And I don't think she she was doing that. I think just the ref felt themselves that it was, you know, I guess he thought, I don't want to be hit by Molly. So I'm sure that tiny um, number 15 doesn't fear. To be fair, they probably set to the side Your and man. go, <laughs> go <laughs> yeah, <off." laughs> this is true. Yeah. I probably would nowadays to be <laughs> fine. So the general conclusion we've come to is get your own insurance, take that seriously. Yes. If you can't afford it, yes. then play in the backs. <laughs> Learn how to play wheelchair yeah. hockey. On a serious note, so I mean a lot of people have insurance you work, for example, these days. And sometimes you can pay a small extra premium. It can only be sometimes, you know, five, ten pounds a month that might cover you for for playing things like rugby, give you an additional layer of cover. There might be other things that you can access cover through. Things like sometimes mobile phone contracts or bank accounts even come with, you know, some packages that give you that kind of insurance. Or certainly talk to your club. You know, there are some companies that will do bulk brokerages for an entire team. You know, if you speak to a good insurance broker, he or she will be able to negotiate really good rates for an entire team to to buy some insurance personally, which is a good idea. I mean, those of you that are covered through through work or through whatever, then great, you know, crack on. But those of you that are self-employed or do manual jobs or, you know, run your own businesses, that kind of thing, don't assume it's always going to be fine because it doesn't take much for it to go the other way. Can we get a general consensus? If you're in a position that she is in right now, she I am going to presume she hasn't got insurance, got two kids, she's lost a job, she's in a wheelchair. Would you, would you not be tempted to sue i would claim on the public liability insurance uh, sue just sounds quite an aggressive angry sort of thing isn't it but that is why we have insurance isn't it to cover ourselves and to be covered should somebody need to claim against us so yeah i i would i think you'd have to that's what it's there for that's what you're paying your membership for isn't it yeah i think until you're in that position you can't really make a judgment i think you'd have to be there wouldn't you? Yeah, but you just have to weigh up the risks of not having insurance, don't you? I mean, when I bust my ankle, it was an absolute pain. I, I couldn't, you know, couldn't cycle or do anything. So that was, you know, that was an impact on my job. That insurance covered me for being off injured. But you wouldn't go on holiday without insurance. People do, and you wouldn't go on a ski holiday without insurance, no. would you? No. So I have bike insurance. Yeah. Well, by the sounds of it, your bikes are death traps. So probably a good idea. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, I mean, I don't ride my own bikes, not the ones I hire out. Good. And last message really is don't go and hurt people on purpose. It's not cool. It's not within the ethics of rugby, the rugby principles. It's not. Unless you've been injured first, in which case you could get revenge. As you're speaking of which, Jodie, you You did get get your own back. I did, yeah. (laughs) The ref overlooked it. You did hunt her down. Yeah. Yeah, I did. 
stupidly. So they let me back on to play, which you probably shouldn't have done. I was begging to be pulled off at that point. I was going in for some... I hit the wrong player. I should have hit player hit me, but I got confused. So I thought the best weapon to use was my own head, and I tossed it back, which probably did not help my face anymore. <laughs> so it's yeah. painful. To be fair, Josie, I did exactly the same thing. That was one of the excuses the ref gave for not sending the other player off when you got head on head was, well, Jodie, she always leads with the head anyway, so it's probably her (laughs) fault. Like, "Mm, you're not helping yourself here, love. (laughs) So I'm here with Reef, who is uh, Sherry's eldest. You're you're the eldest? Unfortunate son. So he seems quite well adjusted, to be honest, after spending 20-odd years in the the Davis Wars Hill household. But Reef, how would you describe what it's like living with your mum? Painful, to say the least. <laughs> Just stressful. I use it after every day because I get a lot of moaning, but we just got to live with it to keep her happy. Just make out like you care about what she's talking about, even though you don't. How's life changed for her now she's a podcaster? Oh, tell you what, it's changed for the worst for everyone else because it's all she speaks about, really. We get forced to listen to it, even though it is funny, to be fair, but... She just fucking bangs on about it, to be honest with you. So you must have a fridge stock full of 70% off Aldi goods. Oh, fucking hell, yeah. I hear all about it. And I always hear about how she has a row with someone when she's there as well, and how she struggles to get a parking spot. It's just not what you want when you're coming from work, really. You know, don't need to know about my mum's life story at Aldi, but something I've got to listen to every day, I guess. It's just part of my daily routine now. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Knock on, knock off. Oh, Welcome no. back no. to the best part of the podcast. Oh shit! Why, why did no one warn me about this? This happens every episode. Oh, oh please, God! Why couldn't I've had some pre-warning what? on this? Of the same thing shit, you do every goodness. week. Look, I've normally had to go to student night. I'm delaying going to student night. I don't normally get to this Lou, stage, even when you're given the answers, you still answer the questions wrong. <laughs> oh, all right. Yes. But I think with a little bit of pre-warning, I could be less shit okay, than normal. Okay, Lou, here's your warning. We're playing knock on, knock off. <laughs> Before we start, yeah, after the last episode, there's a message from ref Fiona Brunt. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, knock on, knock off is more in need of a referee than your game against Didsbury after Molly's comments, and that is saying something. Jodie, get yourself on the nearest refereeing course. Uh, so, there's two refs now that have commented on the uh, car crash of knock on, knock off. So, hopefully, this week we know different. <laughs> no, this is going to be a very special week because I have spent. This has been a game of passion, really. I've really enjoyed getting the information for this one. So the theme for today is Kazakhstan. But I went into a massive wormhole into Kazakhstan, and I'm really rooting for them the next Rugby World Cup. I'm really behind them. And I've been watching some of their games, some of the previous qualified games. We were trying to get into the World Cup for 2021, being hosted in 22. And it's a really good story. Their rise and fall and rise and fall. I'm really into it. So, further ado, we have five-ish questions about Kazakhstan. We'll start off as an easy one. Question one. In Scrabble, Kazakhstan would score more than New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) Knock on or knock off? Knock on. Knock on. Bear with. Lou, stop cheating. 
<laughs> oh, okay. What? What was in Scrabble? <laughs> Score more, more in than Scrabble, New Zealand. Kazakhstan would yes. score more than New Zealand. Knock on, right? All yes. go knock on. Correct. So Kazakhstan, spelled K A Z A K H S T A N, would score thirty, whereas New Zealand would score twenty-three. Wow. Also, I spelled oh. it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I got the essentials: the K's, the Z's. Ah. <laughs> oh. Moving on. All got a point there. Okay. Next question. The women's team is nicknamed the Barbarians. Knock on or knock off? Kazakhstan mm-hmm. Barbarians. I'm going to say knock off because if it was true, then they got a letter from that guy. Mm-hmm. Message me. No, because they have definitely been, been told, told off for that. that. <laughs> that. They've had a cease and desist notice. So what are we going with? All knock off? <laughs> yeah. They're called the yeah. Nightmares. You sound a bit bitter there, Matt. To be you all got it right. That. You're very correct. <laughs> they did get a cease and desist, and they're now called the Nomads. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's actually no. true. <laughs> no, they didn't get a cease and desist, but they are called the Nomads. No way. <laughs> they probably did. I love so it. That means everybody who's called the Nomads has probably had a cease and desist. To be fair, they probably are actual Nomads, though, in Kazakhstan, aren't they? Yeah, imagine if we get a cease and desist from Kazakhstan now. Because oh, I'm like, sorry, <laughs> Nomads is taken. Who owns Nomads? All neck and neck at question two. On to question three. Kazakhstan's first international game was against Germany. Knock on or knock off? Knock on. Knock on. Knock off. Knock off. off. I don't know why, but yeah, go for it. Yeah. Joyce and Lou, point to you. Ooh, I liked that. That was was beautiful. (laughs) Yes. So the first international game that Kazakhstan played was against Germany in Hanover on the 31st of October, 1993. So just under 20 years ago was their first game. And they unfortunately lost by one Ooh. point. The final score was 10-11. Wow. Okay. Oh, close. Yeah. Next yeah. question. Kazakhstan rank 15 in whatever the rankings are. What do you call them? International World Rankings. World. That's the one. Yeah. Knock on or knock off. Uh, lesser known list of rankings. <laughs> 15. That's pretty mm. high. But then they are pretty decent, so I'm going to say knock on. Well, yeah, I don't know how many's in the lead, how many's in the ranking. There's like there's twenty. Uh, yeah, I'm just working it down. Knock on. Like knock on. Knock on. Yeah. Knock on, knock knock on. Matt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm going to go knock off. Oh, that was a silly decision, Lee. Right, point to Matt and Joyce. Does this mean I've won? I fucking hate this game. Yes, they rank 15, which is actually one above Fiji, who are wow. cur- yeah, currently uh, very, very close. Fiji are 58.33, whereas Kazakhstan are 58.43. So pleased. Who's at the bottom? I haven't gone that far. So I was- Not probably busy next week's recording. I don't know if I've made a note here. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about for next time. The worst ranked team in the world. So, I don't know how to word this one correctly. Out of the 22 teams countries that Kazakhstan have played they have never lost to eight of them really knock on or knock off never lost to eight yes yeah go on knock Knock off knock off knock on knock on Joyce and Lou point to you (coughs) yes out of the 22 teams eight of them they haven't lost to ever they've always beat them and they include teams such as Italy Japan Hong Kong and China amongst others Mm -hmm. So, that, so there's 22 then in the league, in, yes. the, in the rankings then, is there? Yeah. Okay. And out of them. 
they're quite good. So a little bit of background. You have won this, Joyce. Congratulations. I think that's your first win. I've never won anything. Like anything. So yeah. I'm really big on Kazakhstan's women's rugby now. So I want to give you a bit of background so you get into them as well. They were so close to getting into the 2021 World Cup. So they were supposed to play, I believe it was Samoa, but they couldn't play the qualifiers in Dubai because of the COVID restrictions. They weren't allowed to go over. So they dropped out, which meant they were the lowest ranking with Colombia and Scotland. So it was a case of the two lowest rankings playing. Whoever wins that plays the highest rank, which is Scotland. Unfortunately, Colombia played against Kazakhstan and beat them 18-10. Although it was a great story because Colombia is also a really good team. If they hadn't played that game against Kazakhstan, I think they would have been a bit better match against Scotland. And it could have quite easily been Colombia in the World Cup instead of Scotland. But unfortunately, they did lose by a big amount, which is uh, 59-3. Wow. That's all. That's interesting. Uh, Thank you for knock on, knock off. What colours do they wear? What's their shirt? You do realise now I'm going to go down yeah, a massive well. I want to share. Honestly, Kazakhstan time. and Colombia are the teams to watch. They are going to be big. Colombia's game against Scotland is the first game they've ever lost. Granted, wow. they've only played about five games because they're new. <laughs> developed, but they are the biggest team in South America. They won the Sudamerica in order to play the playoffs against whoever the qualifier was for Europe. They are growing. Keep an eye on them. That's impressive. That's, That's really interesting. interesting. It's also still like knock on. <laughs> Always learning something here. I'm loving knock on, knock off now. Yeah, yeah. That's it. I'm on a rabbit hole down Google rabbit hole now of lesser known teams. Stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref, stupid ref. Basically, we were playing the other week, and it was a really great ref, really great man. And my top ten moment of the game was the nine put the ball in, the ball came straight out, she picked it up, carried on, and he just shrugged his shoulders and went, carry on. <laughs> Daft. Daft. What happened from that day school? Um, it was our nine who did it, and it was our nine. It was our nine. It was our Amy, our oh, Amy. Oh, and it was lovely because she just did great acting, like that was meant to happen. He's being hunted down by a pack of three, running towards the touchline, shuffled into the touch. Not entirely sure. This is Fantasy 15. So this week we were doing back row, and the teams are France, Japan, and Wales. So for new listeners, the rules are. Anything goes, got to be female from those countries, no mythical creatures, Jodie. Yes. Well, I've got a fairly cracking one, actually, from France. She is called Isabella of France, and she was born in 1295 AD. She was known as the She-Wolf of France. Uh, she was a Queen of England as the wife of King Edward II, and she was known for her diplomatic skills, intelligence, and beauty. Her marriage was a troubled one and she probably had an affair with Roger Mortimer, whoever the hell he was. And it was believed that Isabella then arranged the murder of Edward II. So what I think qualifies her as a back row is that she was skillful, intelligent, beautiful, but also a murdering bastard. Yeah, yeah. perfect. You need a murdering bastard in your back row, don't you? Yeah, I've got a Welsh one for you. Go on. I've got Betsy. Um, so Betsy... Betsy. Bet- Betsy, yeah, Betsy Cadwalla or Betsy Davis is her name. She was a Welsh nurse, so she began travelling ships in her 30s in 1820 and later nursed in the Crimean War alongside Florence nice. Nightingale. So Betsy is the Welsh equivalent of Florence Nightingale and it happened, well, 
People kind of say um, that she was kind of the more evil one out of them. The health board in Wales is named after her. But I thought she would be quite good. She managed to get away with not covering from diphtheria and all the diseases. She'd be great. Tough. Um, The tough cookie. Worked on the ships, came back, background. Yeah. Was born in 1789. So, um, yeah, she'd be from hardy stock. Tough as old boots, that one. Yeah, yeah, military nursing service, all of those. And handle general histrionics and blood pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So she'd be able to deal with Jodie when the other side of her face has been smashed open next time she plays. <laughs> we need her on the team. Can I throw a French person your way? Are you going Bridget so, Bardot? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. Actually, I'm going for... This is one of my all-time heroes, actually. A lady called Pearl Weatherington. She's part French, part English, but I'll give her French because she spent the majority of her life in France and spoke French word perfect and her dad was French. Anyway, she was the very first female leader of a French resistance movement in the Second World War and very famously was trained by MI5 over in the UK and was one of the very, very first spies to be parachuted into France during the occupation. And she's an amazing, amazing person because not only did she do something that no woman had ever done, which was parachute, let alone into France in wartime. But she masqueraded as an undercover agent and a spy for some years before leading a band of maquis or resistance fighters in the movement against the Germans when the British invaded. And it's like the most incredible story because not only did she fight hand-to-hand against the Germans, but she also led a band of you know vagabonds, miscreants, communists, general ruffians and managed to coordinate them as a fighting unit and go and attack all the Germans. I thought like she is badass. She is properly pure badass. Nails. Yeah. So fantastic story. Really good book about her. her She's called Pearl Witherington. So it's a brilliant book called She Landed by Moonlight. Um does not seem very French. That's definitely a character (laughs) from Bridgerton. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, but she spoke fluent French, fluent English because she could pass in both languages with no problems. And she lived until she was really old. And, and the cool thing about her is that she absolutely abided by the kind of Official Secrets Act for the majority of her life. You know, refused to do interviews or anything because she was so respectful of the oath of secrecy she, she had during the wartime years. But the minute she could talk, she told the stories like nobody else. She was absolutely brilliant, like really articulate in the way that she talks about those years. And like, she's just a fascinating person. So make anyone's back row. That's a really good choice. She's cool. I like that one. It's a lovely story. Japan then. Jodie, what do you have for Japan? Uh, I'm going to take the Molly stance on this and just listen to everyone else's. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yoko, Yoko Ono is probably... Oh, no. Right, no, you're not allowed. No Why? way. Great, because you picked it. the obvious choice. She can write this the team song or something. Oh, God. No, God, no. How depressing that that would be worse than Adele, yeah. God, no. Wow. She was lying in a bed. Well, I did have Yoko, and then I thought, actually, she's not that inspiring. Um, And then I started to look at evil women of Japan, but they're a lot of mythical, and we're not allowed mythical people. Japanese has a lot of kind of mythical creatures and female ghosts and spirits in folklore, but we're not allowed those. But there's one which really, which I thought was quite funny. It's something like snail lady or something. So it's like the body of a lady, the top half of a lady, and then the bottom half is a snail. Ah. Did you empathise with her, Joyce? I did, yeah. I thought, yeah. That yeah. sounds like an awful characteristic for a rugby player. Sounds like how I feel on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of gods and goddesses, but we're not allowed miracle ones. And then no. also, shamefully, pronunciation would be so appalling on any Japanese names. 
um, that Yoko was the only one that I could probably pronounce. Safest bet, really, isn't it? What have you got then, Matt? So, Tomoe Gozen. He was the most famous Japanese female samurai. Oh. She is awesome. So she was active during the Genpei War, which was in 1180 to 1185. And she was famously very attractive, but also absolutely lethal. And she was an extremely skilled swordsperson and uh, and rider and an amazing archer. And actually in Japan, even today, archery is one of their national sports. And it's actually important for for women as well, archery in, in Japan. So a lot of the inspiration and the, the kind of line, if you like, of women doing archery comes from people like Tomoe Gozen. But yeah, she's basically badass, protected her area from attack, fought in wars, and became a sort of folklore hero. Um, and lots of Japanese art from that period depicts her on horseback in, in battles. And yeah, she would be a very good back row, I think. Definitely a good flanker. Maybe open side. Oh, I went off on a little um, Google trip then. Misa, M-I-S-A, she is the first Japanese fighter pilot. Yes. Yes. So she's about 20, 29, 30, Japanese Air Defence Force. Nice. She looks absolutely she badass. badass. Yeah. 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 Pretty good crop there. We've got murderous aristocrats, spies. Yeah. Samurais. And I've got and... another Welsh one. Oh, I've on. got a couple of Welsh ones as well. Shirley Bassey, you can fuck off. <laughs> Ruth Jones. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Ruth Jones as Nessa. Yeah, that'll Need do. Say no more. Can I make my suggestion? We're talking about last week of the French number nines playing. One of the very original historical lesbians were called the Ladies of Clangollan. And there were two women who lived together, never got married, but never admitted in a relationship. But in a lot of historical records, it suggests that they were in a relationship. They did a lot for charity. I just think there needs to be a bit more gay on the team. So I'd like to have those two in it. Oh, the ladies of Flanagan. Like it. Yeah. Or are you going to put them um, as six and seven? Upper class. Oh, no, no. They met Shelley. They've met Byron. They did loads of books. And oh, they're definitely gay. Because obviously they just had money and they didn't want to marry and give their money to any other men, really. So they uh, lived together as flatmates. And there's a house in Pangolin, which I've actually visited, called Plas Nuid, which means new house, I believe it does in Welsh. And you can go visit it and it's uh, part of the heritage and everything. It's lesbian mm. history. They're also known as spinsters. Mm, yes. Spinsters, that's what I, I'm going to be yeah. a spinster, that's what I'll call it. Close personal friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Roommate. Lodger. Um, so it was Eleanor, um, she died in 1821 and Sarah died two years later. From a broken heart. Yeah. All right, Google lady. I, well, this is the problem, you'll do this and now I won't be able to sleep. Yeah. Now it's popped up, glorious periods of female romantic history friendship. Just oh, think of all the time we're saving our listeners though, like they can now learn about these amazing people from history without ever having to Google anything. That's what the, uh, the public tune service. in for. That's exactly oh, what it is. It has a name. It has a name when two female romantic friendships. Lesbians. No. <laughs> Boston marriage. Yeah. A Boston marriage. That were you and Muller in, Lou. Return Boston marriage. Two single women living together, independent <laughs> of men, in the 19th century America. Wow. Closet gays. Yeah. When I googled um, famous Japanese women, there was the first lesbian Japanese couple who got married, and that was a massive thing in Japan, actually. 
Mm. And I thought it might be a bit too lesbian. So you didn't include them because you're a homophobe. No, well, I thought you might talk about it, Jodie. <laughs> <laughs> you need to keep them in the minority. You don't want too much. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, you don't want too, too much, much to, sort of media well, exposure. They're, they're married <laughs> to each other, so I don't think they're going to. Well, not legally. Too much drama. No, of course no. not. Moving swiftly on, shit my coach says. I do find it funny, actually, because for when I watch most rugby matches, I am stood next to Matt. <laughs> now we're talking about, in this podcast this year, we've been talking about shit my coach says. Obviously, Matt used to be our coach for a long time. And now I just hear him standing next to me on the sidelines, shouting all the stuff that he used to shout at us as a coach. But I just can't stop laughing the whole time I'm watching the match every time Matt shouts something. Some classics are line speed, like the person who's actually meant to be doing that can hear you. So everything he says is like, I'm like, this is really funny because like the person you're shouting at can't even hear you. So you just don't even bother. But I think it's just line something speed. that comes out of your mouth and you can't help it. I think line speed is probably as a coach, right? Not even as a coach, right? As a spectator of grassroots rugby, it doesn't matter whether it's men or women or what, is the most annoying thing in the world. When you see defensive players, you're sort of ambling, having a cup of tea, bit of a chat. <laughs> you know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Waving at the crowd. Get the fuck off the defensive line and get in their faces. It's not difficult. There's me that was always at least either 10 yeah, yards Matt. offside or 10 yards, <laughs> not even in the line, still picking himself off the grass from the last ruck. There's one that always makes me laugh because I'm a 12 year old girl in an adult's body. It's whenever the in the team talk it's like let's attack the d and i just start going to myself I'm, a child. <laughs> I'm not mature enough to hear the word defense in my head it's attack the dick <laughs> i think exactly that's yeah, oh God, like, can we just say attack the defense why do we have to shorten defense to d yeah because you've had to got to translate it then you're like defense 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 Big D, I do big get big because if anyone took a photo or looked at me whenever we were having those team talks me huggle there I can't make eye contact with anybody because I know I'll get really inappropriate giggles <laughs> so I'm you know when you're like snorting because you're trying not to laugh that's usually me when we're having these talks <laughs> also on the same note I know we're going completely off kit shit my coach says yeah. but how anyone could keep a straight face. I don't know if I'm gay, but he said, does anyone need strapping? What <laughs> How can that be said without pissing myself? Anyone need, anyone for strapping? Anyone so need strapping? And um, someone, we're going to be playing Coach Bing at strapping D and I'm just going to do one of those snorty laughs just to get, <laughs> look at you, Jodie. Don't look at me, I'll crumble. No, you're childish. <laughs> I'm going to shout that at you specifically, Joyce, on the next match. She needs to drop it or attack the D. <laughs> attack the D, Joyce. Attack I mean, the Go on, get up in the D. <laughs> get all over that D, Joyce. Yeah, get deep on the D. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that big D, get it. Oh, we've got the D now. We're in D. What's going on with the D? We love the D. <laughs> We've got a big D game. <laughs> Bring on the big D. Yeah. Oh, see that now. I've just got a whole series of t-shirts printed. Ask me about my D. 
What do you like strapping? Team talk can only be done in sort of quintessential English next time. With innuendos um, all over. With innuendos popped in, yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is Molly's Grassroots Salutes. There's a few knocking around this time, but I'm actually going to give it to Viona. So we talk about Viona a lot, and she's a good friend of the podcast. I'm going to give her the Grassroots Salute this week because uh, she's something pretty cool at the weekend. So there was a team locally that got the team together. You know, Everything was booked, and then they couldn't get a referee. So yeah, St Mary's Old Boys Rugby Football Club. So they had a game against Cheltenham Tigers seconds and couldn't get a ref anywhere. And we're at the point where they're going to have to call the game off. And up steps ref extraordinaire Vienna Brunt. And she cancelled her plans. Big family do that weekend. Ducked out of the event, got her whistle out and travelled to the game to make sure that it went ahead. So big shout out, Vienna. That's absolutely brilliant. Really good demonstration of rugby values and also... You know, just doing the right thing and making sure that people get out and play. We see week in, week out, cancel fixtures for all kinds of reasons. And, you know, the more people can follow your lead and pull the finger out and get things moving forward and make sure things happen on the days that they're planned, the more that the game will continue to gain momentum. need to give a shout out to refs in thing, especially like we've had the ref mark, haven't we, for the last couple of weeks stepping up and moving stuff around i was hearing yeah your- it's been the cause of two of jody's injuries both of yeah. jody's injuries well yes the answer I mean, cool. I mean, that's a bit yes. harsh <laughs> yeah. allegedly um yeah. <laughs> yeah. they've put up with a lot i think my opinion of refs has changed since meeting fiona and hearing her on the pod i respect them a lot more i see them as human beings more than <laughs> twats what do you think if they were before games. just you know what i mean you just refs are always out to get you doesn't matter what team you're on they're always out to get you. That's the takeaway from refs. But they're not. They're humans. And they're not. They have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> they are robots. Uh, they're robots. Yeah. The good ones are like gold dust and we should look after them and protect them and wrap them in bubble wrap and buy them beers after the game and invite them on podcasts because the game needs more of them. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, can I just say one last thing, Matt? <laughs> no. What? This brings us to the end of the podcast. Good night, lads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ship it, ship it. Ship it. Oh. Spin it. We'll save that, save that, save for, that next for next pod. time. Yeah, ship it. Right, okay. written it down. I'll not forget. Many thanks for listening to Grassroots. We hope you enjoyed this smorgasbord of rugby chat. If you want to come on the podcast, please get in touch at grassrootswomen at hotmail.com. Creating Grassroots costs money, so if you would happily buy us a beer in the bar after a game, Please head over to ko-fi.com forward slash grassroots rugby pods and leave us a few quid. You can donate as little as £4 up to as much as you want and every little bit helps us keep the podcast moving forward. There's an inevitable conclusion to this. A brilliant finish. This was Grassroots, women's rugby on the roots up.